Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. Welcome to another special edition of Tackley Acquired. On this segment number two, the oral history of Navy Corpsman Tom Eagles. We are fortunate again to have our producer and current professor here at NKU, Kevin Eagles, join us to give us some comments going into this show. Professor Eagles, please give the audience a review of what we talked about on this awesome and very special episode uh last episode we left with my father speaking about his special relationship with the vietnamese people including a montagnard medic that he was uh, working with at the time who had helped him with an injury that will continue in this episode where he speaks more about the vietnamese people and i wanted to add just a point of recollection for myself You, you know again when when we were looking through his photographs um, after he had passed, one of the things uh, that he would always point out, and this is a, a story that he had spoke about repeatedly while he was alive, was how as part of a village assistance team through the Navy, he was working with a village in the, the Rungsat Special Zone, I believe. And the villagers um, were so happy to have him as a medic that they procured for him a riverboat and painted it up in navy colors unofficially uh, <laughs> that he could use as a river ambulance. That's awesome. And there was an award ceremony uh, where he got and was handed the the boat, uh, the captainship of the boat. And I'm probably gonna I'm I'm gonna find that that picture and use it for a thumbnail for this episode. And it just speaks to his special relationship, right? One of the things in the previous episode. T- uh, that my father did mention as well is that you know how he was angry about the fact that the American media only wanted to talk about the negative side of, of the Vietnamese people, right? It's that positive stories about the Vietnamese people, you know, didn't sell papers, right? So that was something that he always did want to talk about was those positive relationships that he had with people uh, who throughout the war, um, including my family on my mother's side. Uh, who was a Vietnamese national, how they worked tirelessly and throughout the entirety of the war and even after, right, trying to um, save South Vietnam, trying to save Saigon. So I'm really glad that that was captured in the oral history where my dad can can talk about how not only were American soldiers there in Vietnam trying to do the right thing, such as my father, but there were Vietnamese nationals trying to do this, the right thing as well, uh, who did not want Vietnam to be a communist country and were willing and ready to work with American soldiers, such as my father, Tom Eagles, um, and uh, his friends such as Aubrey Nab and, 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 and others. So, yeah, yeah. W- what was really cool about the first episode is uh, kind of the breakdown of the history of where it came from and everything. But I think you nailed it where it, it's the positive reflection that he brings to everything that they were accomplishing in Vietnam. The mm-hmm. first first episode was amazing, and I'm excited to get into the second one. Thank you, Professor Eagles. Oh, thank you. 
you ever come into contact with uh, Eastern medicine practices, like you know, like Chinese medicine or? Yeah, um, I broke my toe uh, in this uh, Vietnamese mountain yard. Uh, I mean, it hurt. I mean, we're 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 out we're out in the we're out there, and uh, there's no helicopter, so he says you got to walk out. So he took some he took his helmet, found some roots, and I wish I would have known what it was. He put it on my toe, and it just numbed the hell out of it. You know, and I walked out on it, you know. But I forgot. I wish I would have had it because I probably would have had me. I mean, I saw these things: uh, acupuncture. Uh, uh, and then there's other sides of uh, oriental medicine where they would take tobacco and put it in wounds. But these are primitive. I mean, Karen's Vietnamese uh, and educated, but I mean, these are poor Vietnamese and, and native people. A little bit, I mean, to them, it was the things to do, you know, uh, the way they lived and what they did. But you had to learn that, you know, what their uh, thoughts were. So, did you ever have problems? You were talking about the boy not being able to keep his foot dry, but did you have problems with people not understanding, like how they needed to maintain their yeah, 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 wounds, and yeah. they, they sort of thought you and could t- just make it all better? Yeah, the magic potion, and then uh, you know they you'd give the medicine, they'd sell it, or you give medicine, they and the local VC would take it. That's so you couldn't give them too much, and you hope they came back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They're like here you get a hundred pills, you know, you just couldn't do that there. Because sometimes they sold it because they needed the money. You know, you think, Well you stupid idiot, I gave you the medicine, you know. They, I you know, there's they need the medicine, but they need the it's just a whole different way of thinking with them. Uh for instance when we when we rebuilt the villas later on, um the Viet Cong or the NV had bombed the house and burned the whole village down. So we were sent in to rebuild the village. So we had all kinds of families, you know, some wounded, some dead, but there's probably about close to 120 families of different sizes. So what we do is we divide them up, how many A families, you know, mom and maybe two kids, B family, mom, dad, five kids, C families, mom, dad, and 10 kids, you know, and we figure that out and then we reapportion you know, if you're A, you got this little land. If you're B, you got this bigger land. And I said, okay, now. And then we made, a, they had to make their own cement. We got bought cement and then molds, and they made their own uh, cement uh, blocks. And, and they built homes out of them? Yeah. But the thing was, uh, we told them, I said, look, at, here's your material. You get it one time, you know. You got to build it right. You can't build it, you know. In other words, there's some zoning or how would you say a building inspector, you didn't do it right. You just can't do a ricky-ticky, you know. And, and I feel sorry for you. You lost your homes, but you, if you rebuild it, you got to build it right. So the first guy tried it, and uh, he sold all his stuff. I said, well, what do you say? I mean, the guy has lost his home, and you sold his stuff. You know, we were feeding him, um, and it was more than just uh, cement. We gave him tin for the roof and wood to make furniture and, and blinds and shutters and all that. And the guy saw it, I said, you're out of here. That's hard to do, you know. You say, you know, I say, hey, it's a bricks, dude. Because if you let one do it, they'd all do it, you know. Another one kind of, yeah, he was drinking a lot. And uh, he'd been I mean, then through a horrible thing, but he wasn't doing up to standards, you know. I'm out of here. So I had to throw two people out. That's kind of hard to do, but if you, you let two do it, they all do it. Did folks move to cities 
when this kind of thing happened to them? I don't know. Did folks move to cities when things like that happened, or did where did people run away to? They went, don't know. Yeah, you have to be callous. I mean, you don't say you don't know, you don't care because you can't let the whole project go because two people. Sure. I mean, uh, it's hard. Did yeah. other people realize they needed to build it? Right oh yeah, after yeah. That? It was, a, it was, a, you know, they did it right. Uh, they, they did it the standards, and they, they got together as a village. But two of them had a. You just couldn't say no. Mm-hmm. Another story from that village, we, uh, they wanted a school. So, okay, they wanted a school. So they asked me for some help. They, uh, we got some wood. It was called Dunnage. The Americans bring a, all their supplies in, and they would uncrate it, and they have all this wood. So we got them some wood, and uh, they made desks. They took Nipapam and made the school and the roof. And they put a sign on it, uh, the Vietnamese American Friendship School. And they, uh, I had some uh, AID, Asia for International Development, sent out some sewing machines. And so I got them a sewing machine, and they made little outfits for all the kids, you know. So I was pretty proud of this, and I brought the American State Department guys down to see it, and they went right to the overhead. You can't do this. I said, why? This is, it's, I mean, it, it, look, it was their school. They built it, their pride. They could fix it. You know, if something broke down, they'd go, to, go out in the woods and get, or jungle, or get more nip palm and thatch it. No, they said, you got to tear it down, we're going to go with cement and all this stuff. And I said, well, what happens when it breaks down? You know, put glass in it and somebody breaks the glass. Well, no, you can't put the American name on this. They made me take the name, American French name off of it. Uh, How did the villagers... They didn't that. like it, you know. It was, they were proud of what they did, but, but sometimes the Americans, you got, it's, you know, we do it better and it's our way is better, and you got to do it our way. And they didn't want our names, of, the American name, on stuff that wasn't up to up to grade. Yeah, to snuff. So, you became a medical advisor. Yeah. Um, uh, when was my, that? On my second tour, I went back to the states. Uh, well, anyway, I'm in the village, and Hanoi Hannah was a woman on, a uh, communist woman on, uh, Northern Radio. And she gave greetings to Boxy Tom and the team at, uh, and, uh, Nanook. And she said, you won't live to see Christmas. So the Navy, out of there, you know. In a couple of days, I was gone. Uh, we were working in that village. We were right off the Nang Air Base, uh, the OSI, the Air Force Intelligence, asked us to keep an eye out, and we were doing things for them. And, you know, I ran sick call. We rebuilt the village. Uh, four of us guys lived there, and we would go on patrol with them and try to keep the village secure. We were right off the Nang Air Base. Man, the, the Air Force looked at it as their first tripwire, you know. So the, they weren't happy with us. I mean, as you say, that guy walked right through the film that day. They knew who we were, they knew we were there. Uh, we had a lot of good successes because we were taking care of the kids, people, delivering babies, uh, minor surgery, uh, pulling teeth, uh, 
all that, and they, they weren't happy with me. So they kind of raised, you know, greetings to the team at uh, Nanook. Uh, Were uh, women comfortable being seen by a male doctor? Oh, yeah, there's no problem. Okay. No, no problem. Uh, you had to be very, you know, careful what you did. And respectful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can be a dirty old American, but, you know, don't do that there, you know. And these are, as Karen can tell you, you know, how the people looked upon you. So, uh, anyway, they said, you know, you're, you're not going to make it to Christmas. So the Navy pulled me out, went me back to the States. So I went to an INI, which is an inspector instructor in Marine Corps Reserve in Albany, New York. And um, it was great. The Marines were nice, but you couldn't, I mean, you're doing uh, physicals and uh, minor, minor circle. You know, you're in Albany, New York. And I, it was just, uh, it wasn't, not that I like to see people hurt, but if they're hurt, I want to be there. So um, I spent a year there, and I called my detail and I says, you know, whatever it takes, send me back. So they thought about it while I said, oh, I got orders, you can go back to Vietnam, but you can't go to I-Corps. Three, three or four corps. So they got, took me to, sent me to, to Saigon, and I got there, and I said, uh, four corps, right? Yeah, all three and four. Saigon was in three, and he had, just beyond uh, Saigon, the end of three corps, four corps. So they said, okay. So they sent me to a place called, uh, in in three corps, uh, the Rungsat Special Zone. It's a, um, it was a, a conglomeration of area between Saigon and the South China Sea, and it's where the Long Tao shipping channel, where all the shipping came from the ocean up into Saigon. So our job was security of both sides of that channel. Uh, with the Vietnamese. So just a few of us Americans, there's Vietnamese, Marines, uh, regional forces, popular forces, and a few Americans. Can you tell me about the popular forces? They're the, oh, it's like the, uh, if the regular army is our army, regional forces would be like the National Guard and the popular forces would be like the Home Guard. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had regional forces, popular forces in the, all these villages. They were, um, was that the People's Self-Defense Force? No, that's even less. That's P.S. That's Nyanyan. That's Nyanyan Duve. That's even less. That's the less. And they're the local. I mean, we all lived in a bunch of houses. You know, don't care who you were. You, you were in the PSDF. You, Don. You know, whatever. Uh, you know, you, you guarded the village. You had patrols, and you kept out looking for the bad guys. These are armored villages. Uh, they're. Uh, they were clearly infenced by wire, and, and there was, so they controlled the population. So the bad guys were out there, good people lived in here. So the whole uh, area we had to keep out, because the the, um, the battalion called Dawn 10, their job, they were communists. They were North Vietnamese and Vietnamese, and their job <coughs> was to you know, attack the channel and the shipping going up. If they could sink a ship in the channel, they, you know, they'd really screwed up because That was all, all our uh, P.O.L. Petroleum, petroleum, oil, and lubricants came up that way. All their supplies, food. So I spent three years in the swamp there. And then when I say swamp, if the if you got up in the morning, the beatings at their ankles, I was up to my knees automatically. If they're up to their knees, I was up to my butt. You know, it was a horrible place to work. I mean, there was no roads. It was either helicopter, boat, or you walk. I mean, even to get to your boats in the morning, you had 16-foot tides. 
So if your boat was down there, you had to swamp through the mud to get to your boat. If you're high tide, you had to get your boat from up here, because it's now up here, and you had to slide it down to the mud, in the mud, in the water. So I spent three years in there. What kind of medical work was different in a swamp area? Like what things? Well, you had a lot more sores. Uh, I mean, our guys. Uh, I mean, we used. To, we, I wouldn't let them wear underwear because they're called crotch rot. It's hard mm-hmm. to say that, but uh, yeah, no, I know what that is. Um, and it, you know, so yeah, that was a big problem. And then when we came after a couple of weeks out there, we came back out back on our team house. We had a covered area with the hammocks and fans, and you laid out there and just dried out. Your skin was like a big wrinkle, you know, and you had sores. So you pruned up. Yeah. Um, what about infectious diseases? Yeah, that was easy. I mean, if you got a, uh, I mean, it was so human and dirty. I mean, the, the wounds just fester, you know, you know, it was a bad problem for the Americans and, and for the Vietnamese. So did you have to get people out of there to somewhere else ever for more intense treatment? Or well, Yeah, if I couldn't take care of them, you had to. But then if I couldn't take care of them, some of my people were nungs and mountain yards. If we didn't take care of them, the Vietnamese wouldn't. Uh, Karen came down to work as a nurse and she helped with everything. Uh, but she could probably explain it better, but there's, I'm here, you're there. and you're dirty and I'm better. Uh, they wouldn't take them. The uh, Who wouldn't take them? The, the Vietnamese hospitals wouldn't take them. So there's so much. There's good Vietnamese and there's bad Vietnamese and there's corruption. I mean, we, we had corruption too, but I mean, they, you know, give me a little money, we'll take care of you. So the medical care was just horrible out there. It, it improved some, uh, but it, it was really a, a work to get them good, good health care and taken care of in long range. I mean, there's no CVS, there's no uh, no emergency clinics, you know, so they came to you. Uh, and then they would drop, we had a pier, and it was known as the American Pier, and they would drop kids on the pier and leave them there. You know. How old were you during this time? 25. How old was that? We were... Yeah. yeah. So a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, one woman, uh, I just got reminded of it, uh, she had long hair. She was uh, working on her fishing boat and it got her hair caught in the shaft and it took her scalp off. So, um, you know, they brought her to me. We sent her up. They, the Vietnamese wouldn't take it. They just left her. So the next time the Hila pilot went in there, American Hila pilot saw her sitting there and he brought her back. So, um, Luckily, they, I'd taken her scalp and put it in a bottle of, or in a basin of uh, uh, sterile water, keep it moist. So they brought it back to me, and uh, I bandaged her up, and then I took the hair and cut all the hair off the top, gently cleaned up what I could underneath, and then uh, there's a, a Penrose drain. It's a flat piece of rubber. It uh, folds over. It's very flat. Mm-hmm. So I took, like, a teepee. From here, here I put, I put Penrose trains all over her head, you know, TB like sticks, and you put bastration and sulfa uh, mm-hmm. powder all over her head. Sure, antibiotics. Yeah, and uh, started her IV in that. But then I sewed her up loosely, not all the way around tight, with these pieces of rubber. And over a couple, over a couple of weeks, I'd pull the rubber down a little bit, and then after that, she cut it off. And so, so I wanted to heal. From the top down, instead of healing up and then getting a, a pus pocket. Yeah. So it held by. So it was draining. The yeah, whole time. yeah. And it took 
lot of prayers. I mean, it was a miracle. And I mean, she'll never be a chorus girl with that scar left on her, but she's okay. It's uh, incredible that you were able to do that without her infection. Well, she it. she sloughed a couple of times when I had infection. I had her, you know, I had an IV with a, a couple of antibiotics, you know, forced into the IV. Um, well, she made it. Fingers and toes amputated a few of those bullet wounds. Uh, there were some babies. One woman uh, did a C-section on her. Uh, Edmund Hunter was a special forces doctor on that at a radio. Had a Gray's Anatomy, and he said, here's how you do it, Doc. We walked me through it. Now, she'll never be a chorus girl with that, but she lived. That's a hell of a scar. Were you ever, did you ever hear about women who were, like, going to, who were pregnant and, I mean, having back alley abortions, that kind of thing, mm. during that time? Not in our area, no. Okay. I'm sure there was abortions going on in Saigon. But not other people to see that they had the baby or not. Uh, and actually, don't forget, I mean, more kids is better. Here you buy life insurance, here you have, there you have 10 kids, mm -hmm. you know. So kids are one of that. I've never seen anybody that didn't want the kid. Uh, but the area I was in, in the rooms, that was, it was two of the uh, poorest districts in the whole country. Very, very poor. The per capita is very, very low. So they're all farmers. Uh, woodcutters, fishermen, but more kids the better, and you know that was your life insurance. The kids were wanted. What do you remember about the 1971 incursion of the NVA into South Vietnam? Oh, uh, I was down in the Delta. Our team uh, was, a, you know, a, a American Marine team were all advisors. We were closely allied with the Vietnamese Marine advisors. Uh, so uh, Colonel Lehman, Jerry Turley, he said, I need more help. So uh, we got to be Kelly girls, you know. You know, Doc, get out of the village, go up north. So uh, off I went up north and uh, worked with the Vietnamese. My, my job was loading airplanes, C-130 birds. Uh, the yeah, what were Herky birds? C-130 Hercules, it was, it was, a, it was a C-130 Hercules was the name. We called them Herky birds. So the, the first thing I did is said, Doc, you speak Vietnamese, go to, the, go to the airport and load the Vietnamese Marine Transport Battalion, Transport Battalion trucks and all their supplies on these C-130s so they go into Hue Phu Bai and, you know, support their, the division that was up there. So I spent about four days at uh, Thompson loading aircraft. So you're yeah. working with the Vietnamese oh, yeah. people? And so surely when you were stationed in Vietnam the first time or when you were here for the when you were there for the mission, your Vietnamese was like sort of rudimentary very, at best. It's and, got better and better because you know, I mean I'm not she speaks to me, I you know. But I could hold sick call, I could, you know, figure out where I was and you know, give orders. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it just got better. But you know, either you're lonely or you, know, you figure out what's going on. And the Vietnamese taught me. And they listen. You know, say, hey, you do this. I mean, when we got, when we got up to Hue Phu Bai, the old man says, okay, you can sit at the airport and backload aircraft. So refugees and all these people get on the aircraft, you know, get on the aircraft, do this, I can't take that. Um, I remember I, I had a, a, some Vietnamese officer got on there 
and all these raptors were there. He uh, he's sitting on the floor of this herky bird, and he wouldn't let anybody near him. You know, and he and he's taking up space like this, and, and you know, go away. So I just found about ten feet and put it, and I said, no, no, no. You know, I said, you know, you you gonna get off? I mean, I pulled my gun. I said, you're gonna get off, and you don't you don't play that crap. I need every bit of this bird to get people out of here. Well, I'm a, I think he was a lieutenant colonel. I said, I don't care what the hell you are. I said bad words. <laughs> he says, no, they're all getting out here. And, you know, to, you know, and I told the crew chief when to take off, I said, he gets any problems. You know, I said, shoot him, throw him out. He, he, he can't play games. You wrote, and this is a bit of a jump, you wrote about, so you did three deployments, right? At one point you did 36 three. months yeah. straight? Yeah. So can you just tell me, like, you were, your chronology when you, Sorry, how <clears throat> how long were you stationed the first time? How long were you stationed the second time? Well, the first time was 36 months. I went to recon battalion, four months. Mag 16 for about a year and f- five months, and the rest of the village team. Mm-hmm. And went back to the States. Like I said, I wasn't happy. Went back, spent three years in the Delta, three years in the Rungstadt Special Law. So was it in between those two sets of three years that you were in that bar that I read about in that, that narrative you the, read? The bar was, well, the first time we left, you know, everybody had a drink and then, you know, that, in Camp Elton. And uh, didn't get drunk, but I had a few few pops. And uh, this was, I'm just saying this for the camera, yeah. this was back in America. You just Yeah, in Camp Elton, California, the Oceanside. The second time when I came back, oh, the, the okay, when? And the first time I came back, I went out with this guy, you know, we went out drinking, and you know, it was great to be back, you know. I mean, I didn't want to come back, but I got back. Had some good food, and let's have some fun, and, uh, but America changed. I mean, I'm sitting there, and this guy says, you know, some money, and hey, I was happy to be here, you know, we're making a few pops. Uh, and this guy comes and I want some money, and I said, oh, yeah. What's it for? And he says, well, he's talking about this guy that arrested, you know. And I realized he was one of these hippies that I heard about. You know, I want to start a fight. And uh, he said, no, Doc, you can't do that here. It's like, I ain't being this guy, yeah. And they told us to get out of here and there were baby killers and all that. And I was mad at him. So what year was that? Had to be 68. Yeah, about 60, late 68. Oceanside, California. It was, again, it was a... a no, we left in Oceanside, and that was, um, he lived in L.A., and I think it was somewhere between L.A. and Long Beach. Where, where it was down by the beach, and all these guys were there, and, we, you know, this, this wasn't, he wanted to go, I, I really didn't, go, I just wanted to rest and get a good meal. He wanted to go out drinking, oh, okay, you know, let's go drinking, okay. And then, then we met these guys, and that was not. I mean, I just came back from Vietnam, and these guys, you know, were baby killers. What do you know? You know, it was the beginning of the uh, anti-war uh, uh, movement, I, I guess, that we saw. And it's the first time I saw it. You know, I saw it. I, I didn't like it. So, did how did that change how you felt when you went back to Vietnam? Did you feel? When I went back, 
like who am I fighting for or anything like that? I was uh, I was unhappy uh, in the states uh, in Albany, New York. That was just about the time of um, what was that big? Uh, Albany was a far from the very famous hippie festival. Woodstock. Yeah, so I was around that area that time, and I didn't like it. I said, well, I'm going back to you know Vietnam. I knew I knew the Marines. I didn't know all of them. Yeah, I knew the Marines were Marines and sailors were sailors. But they weren't that, so I, I, I just couldn't put up with that. So I went back, and then the third time I came back was when you know, Karen and I came out with our son. So uh, you met Karen. When did you meet Karen? Uh, yeah. But I remember your birthday, and I remember we got married. <laughs> uh, she came to work for me, and I, you know. She was a nurse? Yeah. Well, we paid more than the Vietnamese, and she worked for us. And uh, one thing led to another, and I told her I liked her. She told me to go to hell. And then, <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll prove myself a straight arrow. And uh, we got married, and we married 43 years now. Did Were there other soldiers who married Vietnamese women? That was a problem. I mean, I understood the Vietnamese. I understood her. I loved her. Uh, it was very difficult to get married, uh, probably rightfully so to a point they were trying to uh, stop Americans from marrying Orientals. Who? Who was trying the, to stop The them? government. Uh, so I, you know, I said, I want to marry Karen, and they said, all this paper. And it, and it was a system, it was probably designed all right, but it, it was, it, in the end, it was really bad. I mean, you got all this paperwork together. And I said, okay, Kate, I got all this paperwork together. Okay, mm-hmm. I got 10 of this, five of this, eight of that. Oh, you need five more of this, six more of that, eight more, you know. So you went through about three of those. You got all this paperwork together, and then you had to take it to a Vietnamese interpreter on base. And he was sitting in a room, probably about this size, and it had paper all over on the walls. And he was working his way through this, one guy, you know. So I said, oh, hell with this crap. So I... I gave a bottle of uh, Shelley's uh, booze, a case of beer, and a, a little transistor radio, and said, show me your format, and we came back and we typed it up, and he stamped it off, and we got right through that. Well, then I went to the uh, the uh, chaplains, and Karen was not an American citizen, she weren't married, but she, you, you can't get her on base unless she's an American citizen. But you can't get married unless she goes to this chaplain and sees You can't get on base to see the chaplain. You know, it was catch-22. So when he turned his back, I, I stole his paperwork and, his, uh, and I forged it all and got through it. So we got married. When we got married, uh, they said, well, you can't get married until the day you leave. Well, if I got married the day I leave, she couldn't get the paper, you know. So I knew uh, Ambassador Ellsworth Bunker. He used to come to our team house for briefings because you know, I saw it with the American, the, the Marine team, if he wanted to talk about something, if he wanted to talk to Katie, he talked to Katie about what she was doing, and, and she wanted to talk to me about what I was doing. But what the Army was famous for is, you know, they wanted to talk to Katie, but 20 people would be the colonel, the general, and all that. So, the general talked to this, and I thought, you know, kitties were, you know, caca boo boo, you know. Like so he. Uh, telephone. Yeah. 
So he said, you know, you always like to come down to us. Uh, and I used to cook some horrendously good roast beef, uh, beef stew in, in, in this crappy team house. And he sent, brought some home and his wife lived in Bangkok, Thailand, his family. And uh, so he would take some home. So one day he, he sent a word down, uh, Doc, what do you need? I need a big bucket of your beef stew. I said, okay, so I told them what to do, and they sent it in an Air America chopper. And I cooked it up, and they took it to them, you know, and that was our bond. So when they were trying to give her a hard time, because I had a son, you know, we were married Vietnamese, we were married, you know, but we're not married American. So he gave us a word, get married now, no crapola. And I got through it. But so many guys... And I'm I'm glad I did. I mean, she, I, I tell everybody she's a blessing. You know, really good. I mean, so many guys love their woman, whether they were understood it or would have been a good marriage. Who's to say? But they were making arbitrary decisions, and these guys are going over to uh, Vietnamese wedding services and costing a fortune of money and a lot of games. And the Americans played into it. And I think if, you know we would have had more uh, counseling and real thought about. It, there's difficult. I mean, she'll tell you it was difficult to come to the states. Uh, you know the the cross culture, but I mean, so many guys really love their women for better or worse, and uh, they just made it impossible for these guys to marry. Does that answer you? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, can you tell me how you earned you earned three Purple Hearts? Yeah. Can you tell me about this? This kind of shot, yeah, yeah. Well, you get, you know, you know, go out looking for them. This happens. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time you got shot in the arm, and then first time in the stomach, and then the butt, and then mm-hmm. the. What was the last one? Stomach. In the stomach. Okay. How did that one happen? Just out there, and somebody was in a way city during Tet, and. Uh, uh, NVA was hiding in a mail. Their mailbox, the French mailboxes were uh, concrete and they're pretty good affairs. And uh, I was with the, our village got overrun. So we got out of that village and we came into Da Nang City and they said, Doc, we need, you. I ended up with the Vietnamese police battalion, the Kansai Ya Chin, the field police. Mm-hmm. And he said, You're an advisor with them and radio men. So off I went to, uh, from Da Nang up to Hue City, and we were augmenting the, the American Marines, and we were clearing a street, and we were going down a street, and this guy was in the mailbox and shot me. So uh, after I got shot, the Vietnamese hauled me over in the litter, and they said, they, they, they took an AK-47 and poof, <laughs> it all. So, not nice, but. Uh, I have questions. You wear jump ones. Yes. Tell us about that. What do you, the, the experience to earn the jump wings? Yeah, you know, to jump school. Yeah, I had a jump school. That was that sucked. Uh, sorry, <laughs> but you know, you're in a navy. You're in a navy. You're in a marine uniform, and you go to an army jump school. You stand like a sore thumb. I got down to Fort Penning, and the guys, said, uh, the Marines, the Marine detachment there, they said, okay, and I came from the Marines, so I was their kind of uh, responsibility. They said, Doc, you're going to get Iron Mike. And I said, what's Iron Mike? Well, you'll be the number one graduate. <laughs> I told him I'm sent it. I, I, I was going to get through this thing. Well, I got there, and these Army guys, oh, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, here I am with a Marine uniform on, Navy stripes. I was I was on the skyline. I got a lot of extra push-ups and uh, um, special attention, but I got through it. Was I Iron Mike? No, I got through it. Does that answer that? I think so. Um, so you were part of a special task force with RSSB. What did RSSB stand for? RSSZ. RSSZ. Rungshad Special Zone. Okay. The uh, the commander of the zone said, Doc, the, uh, the RAND Corporation. Okay is coming through and they want to test, they're looking for Agent Orange. So he said, we're going to go out to the Vietnamese uh, villages and these Americans are coming through, they're going to look at their crops, look at people. We're, you know, we brought a genesis, botanist, uh, animal husbandry, veterinary, I mean, all kinds of, there's about 20 different specialties. And my job was to put them on boats and take them into these areas along the Long Tom Shipping Channel, and they would go in and take uh, soil samples, uh, tree samples, uh, uh, wood, uh, they, they took uh, wood. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the people, and we had a lot of, we, in that area we had an inordinate amount of cleft palates and congenital anomalies. So they tested, and my job was to get them in and out of there. Um, so they, they spent about three months there going through the whole area. When was that? What year? Or an estimate? 71, 72. Uh, they came through there and uh, they, I guess, they, I, you know, the thing is they never said anything to me. I questioned why we had a lot of pallets, you know. Cause we had a, a tightly controlled population. It wasn't uh, a lot of people moving through. I mean, the bad guys, but I mean, as far as... Uh, Cultural shifts, uh, ethnic, they're all, they're, they're pretty much, it was a very poor area. Not a lot of people came in there. They, they, so these people had, and they think it was because of the Agent Orange. That now and they know it was. Uh, and we never, but I never saw too much problems. Uh, the Vietnamese, we all thought it was a great idea. Because it took away the cover and defoliated the areas. The, 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 uh, the, the problem was that the Vietnamese had to